On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Elon Musk conducted a Q&A at South by Southwest, and I've got all of the best Tesla-related sound clips from that event. Plus, Model S and X get a very high-impact upgrade for new orders. Supercharger prices have been raised almost everywhere and more. Howdy, friends. Welcome to Ride the Lightning. It is the Tesla unofficial podcast, episode number 137 for March 18th, 2018. I am Ryan McCaffrey, and I am joined, of course, as always, by Daisy the Boxer Puppy, who is currently sleeping atop, what else? A pile of blankets. She's found the softest, comfiest spot and has plopped herself down right there. Uh, she comforts me. as <laughs> I can just pet her as I do the podcast. It always helps. Anyway, uh, I wanted to start off with a quick show note, housekeeping note. I wanted to apologize to any of you who may have uh, been affected by an, uh, an audio issue last week. It was when the, the audio clip from the, the Goodyear representative played. A number of folks reported to me that it just came through as, as a garbled mess. And I just have no clue how that happened because the source file was fine. The Patreon player version was fine for the folks uh, that had early access. And then uh, when it posted to the world on Sunday, I went onto iTunes and just played it from there. And that was fine. But somehow, some way, it seemed to mess just that part up for some people. I, I didn't do anything differently from my usual production process. So I'm not sure if anybody has an idea, any ideas on that. Feel free to email me. Uh, I have recorded what I think is a better version of it, and I'll put that at the very end of this week's show rather than play it again now just to save a minute in case you did hear it fine last week. But there's a ton of stuff to get to. I don't want to waste any time. Uh, other than one other quick housekeeping note, if anything happens big-time news-wise on Friday... I apologize, or if it happened, I guess, as you're listening to this, I apologize for missing it. I had to record the show early this week. I'm recording on Thursday night because uh, I have a function to attend on Friday night. Now, thankfully, the, the week was so front-loaded with so much cool stuff going on that I've still got what should end up being a very, very full show, probably a pretty long episode this week. Uh, and I want to start that with Elon Musk's Q&A at South by Southwest, uh, he talked for well over an hour. I think it was about an hour and a half. It was moderated by uh, Jonathan Nolan. It was, I guess moderated is the wrong word, just sort of hosted. It was Jonathan Nolan, uh, who is, who is uh, Christopher Nolan's brother and, and an accomplished uh, showrunner himself. He does, uh, he's one of the showrunners of Westworld on HBO. And, uh, and yeah, he sat down with Elon, and he is evidently good friends with Elon in real life. And his brother, Kimball Musk, came out at one point. You'll hear him coming up. But I, I of course, went through and plucked out all of the good Tesla-related clips here. And I'm going to play them for you with a little commentary. He didn't talk too much about Tesla at this. It was, it was mostly SpaceX stuff and some bigger picture, you know, e Elon Musk things and sort of more into his backstory but uh, he, he did talk a little Tesla, but not without having a little fun first. Here's Elon Musk uh, when asked, who inspires him? Everyone in this room is inspired by you. Who are you inspired by? 
Well, Kanye West, obviously. So what do you say? By the way, I wanted to quickly point out on the topic of, uh, of weird audio issues, if, you, if the audio sounds a little strange on the, these clips, it's actually, it's, it's definitely not my fault this time. It, the, the, the live stream itself was, uh, had some strange audio issues, so it, it should still all come through all right, but just wanted to point that out in case that happens to be bothering you a little bit. But anyway, on that uh, Elon joke about Kanye West, West, I'm not sure where that came from, but as you heard, it got a pretty big laugh in the room. Now, let's get on to more serious Tesla topics, shall we? Is that how you see the world? Do you see the things that don't work and can be made better? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't sort of like look at things and say, okay, what's the rank ordered, uh, you know, business opportunity um, from a financial standpoint or anything like that. It's, uh, it's really just like, these are the, there's some things that, are, that don't seem to be working um, that are important for the you know, for our life and for the future to be good. Um, and I have to say that if, if, um, if, if one were to say, like, where is the... If, if one were to do a risk-adjusted rate of return estimate on various industry opportunities, I would put uh, errors, like, basically building rockets and cars pretty close to the bottom of the list. <laughs> that they would have to be the dumbest things to do, um, just just because you know, you look at the, the auto industry, um, and in the U.S. auto industry, the only two companies that haven't gone bankrupt um, at, at least at some point are Tesla and Ford. Every other company got bankrupt or was failing and got acquired. Um, there's only two companies that haven't gone bankrupt, and there's a big graveyard of companies that did. So, and you're going up against entrenched competitors. There's no, the, the, I, I, I gave basically both SpaceX and Tesla from the beginning um, a probability of less than 10% of likely, likely to succeed. I find that interesting. You know, I, I wonder what would have happened if Elon would have ended up passionate in his life about something else and just pursued something else entirely, some other industry, like even in like video games. He, he does play video games. What if he had ended up dedicating himself to video games, would he have become the best programmer in the world, like a John Carmack level kind of programmer? I wonder about that. Who knows? But in any case, uh, here's Elon commenting about uh, Tesla and how how sort of the world perceives Tesla sometimes. But for all the drama of, of SpaceX, I think Tesla's actually been, been probably two thirds of my total total drama dose of a of a time. Tesla's a drama magnet. It's crazy. You know, he said this before, but it's always interesting to hear him mention it. I mean, here, he laughed it off. You know, he didn't sound beaten down by it, which is, which is always good to hear. Uh, next, coming up now, was the big Tesla quote of the entire Q&A session. So take a listen to this. <laughs> we'll see this also with, uh, with self-driving. Uh, I think probably by end of next year, self-driving will be, will encompass essentially all modes of driving and be at least 100 to 200% um, safer than a person by the end of next year. We're talking like maybe 18 months from now. 
I wonder if that quote alone will change some people's minds about whether or not to order the full self-driving option with their Model 3s rather than wait and pay the higher price later. I know, I have to say, it's gotten me back on the fence again. Uh, I had been kind of, I, I've been wavering. You've heard me say, you know, I've, lately I've been in the no way, I'm going to wait and just pay the 4000 later and, some, you know, sort of save up for it to pay it later. But uh, I, I'm back on the fence again, even though I know I, I should take Elon Musk timelines with a grain of salt. He actually even acknowledged that at a different point in the uh, in the Q&A. But, but there you go. Very interesting quote there from Elon Musk. He's extremely bullish on the fleet learning and the the sort of exponential machine learning that uh, that is that uh, he claims to be going on with with the autopilot stuff so we'll we'll see what happens in the coming months you know we're supposed to get the full self-driving demo in three to six months and and we'll go from there next up elon was asked about the most difficult things in his life right now and what stresses him out so uh, one one answer may not surprise you at all. Well, right now, the only things that are really stressing me out in a big way are AI, obviously. Um, that's like always there. And, uh, and uh, I'm working really hard on Tesla Model 3 production. Um, and uh, we're making good progress, but it's hugely hard work. But those are the two most stressful things in my life right now. I want to be careful not to read into this too far, because a, a pessimist could interpret this as him saying, oh, well, Model 3 production's clearly still not going well. But optimistically, it could still be stressing him out, even if the ramp is absolutely proceeding according to the revised timeline, and they are, in fact, still set to get to the 2,500 car per week level by the end of this month, which, of course, also happens to be the end of the quarter, and it also happens to be in about two weeks. Uh, on the other hand, though... I am glad to hear that it does, in fact, remain a top priority for him. Just one more quote that was Tesla-related from this event. Uh, there were I, I do encourage you, you know, it, it's always interesting to me to hear Elon speak. You know, go, go to, I believe it's, uh, the archive should still be at, it's sxsw, south by southwest, sxsw.com slash live. That's where it aired live, but I believe the... The archive is there as well. It's, you know, again, it's long. It's about an hour and a half, but it's always interesting to hear Elon speak. So if you're curious to, to listen to the rest of it, a lot of SpaceX stuff, it's an AI stuff as well. Check that out. But here's the final clip. This is uh, Kimball Musk, his brother, joining Elon on stage. And the two of them talk about the early days of Tesla. I warn you, this is an extremely long clip. It's a 10-minute clip. So take a look at where you are right now. If you want to skip this and just get to the Tesla news, please skip ahead 10 minutes now. Otherwise, enjoy Kimball and Elon revisiting the early days of Tesla. Let's see. So, I mean, talking to uh, Kimball, uh, thanks for coming on, um, about the things that I thought would be most important to work on for a long time, all the way back to college days. Um, and um, electric cars are something I've been interested in since I was, like, I don't know, 18, 19. Um, when do you first recall hearing me talk about electric cars? Just curious. First time was well, you, you talked about it in the '90s a lot. Uh, we 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 used to brainstorm a lot randomly, even in I think we were 20 20 years old. And the first thing I remember us brainstorming was solving connectivity amongst doctors. Huh. And we were on a road trip from 
That was hopeless. Huh? <laughs> Long time ago. We had a lot of doctors in the family, so we had information. But the idea was really to solve that problem where we are from Silicon Valley to Philadelphia brainstorming how you do it. This is before the internet, so we, we you know, in our minds, designing network computers, doctors talking. This has all happened, of course, over 25 years, but it's one of, the, it's one of the, that's sort of the first time I remember us really trying to solve a world problem, and unless it was a world problem that was really important, it just wasn't that interesting to us. Electric cars, uh, you talked about for a long time, but um, I remember walking into your house once, this is in probably 2002 or 2003, and you had these plans laid out that uh, the team at Tesla had, or the, the earlier guys had, had basically said, you know, we're gonna take this Lotus lease and we're gonna convert it into an electric car. And you know, we sat down and talked about it for a bit and, and it wasn't so much that it, um, it could be done. I think we all believe it could be done. It was more just the attitude that it should be done. And then it went from there. Yeah, well, the, the, uh, the first internships that I had that were um, interesting were on ultracapacitors for use in electric cars. So that's what, why I first came out to Silicon Valley in like 93 or 92 or something like that was to work at a company called Pinnacle Research on advanced ultracapacitors with the idea that this could be a solution to the energy storage problem in electric vehicles. And then um, when I graduated from Penn, the, I was going to be doing a PhD at Stanford um, in material science and, and, uh, and, and physics, um, trying to figure out if there's a, a way to, to, to solve for a, an ultra-high-density a uh, solid state capacitor um, that would have enough range to uh, power an electric vehicle. So, um, so in fact, so I, that's, that's, uh, that's a 95. And then, I wasn't sure, this is one of those things where you could work in it for a long time and discover that there's no, actually no good solution. You, um, you could publish a paper and you uh, get a PhD and all that, but it would be academic in its value. So in 95, I had a choice of either work on this energy storage system for electric vehicles or uh, try to play a role in building the internet. Um, but the internet stuff was happening right then and there, um, whereas the electric, electric vehicle technology was going to progress slowly on its own, um, whether I was there or not. So I thought, well, I'll put the grad studies on hold and do something um, to help build the internet or do something useful on the internet. Um, and that's um, when I talked to Kimball and um, you were working in Canada at the time. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, said, hey, why don't we try to do this, this company in Silicon Valley? Um, it was pretty cool. We, built the, we, we, were, we, we were the first to see maps in door-to-door -door directions. It had been built by a company, Naptech, but never, never been on the internet. And it was, it was so cool to be the first two humans to see it. You can draw a map, type in an address, yeah. get directions, things you probably all did about 50 times today each. Um, and we were the first to see that and put it on the internet, so it was really cool. Yeah, it was, a, it was the first maps and directions, yellow pages and white pages on the internet. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then we ended up helping bring a lot of publications online, so we're, as investors and customers, the New York Times Company, Knight Ritter, Hearst, and a number of others. Um, and um, yeah, but I always wanted to get back to electric vehicles because that, that was a primary interest of mine um, from undergrad and grad days. And, um, and so 
Uh, after Zip2, still did one more internet company because I thought Zip2 had not achieved its, its full potential. Um, we, we built this incredible technology, but it wasn't being used by the customers in the right way. Um, it was a bit like building you know, um, F-22 fighter jets and then, and then you sell them to people and they roll them down the hill at each other. And you're like, that's <laughs> really not the way to use it. Okay. Um, in fact, that, that's where I decided you really want to go to the end consumer. If you've got great technology, you want to go all the way to the end consumer. Uh, don't tell it to, to, to some bonehead legacy company that doesn't understand how to use it. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, so, with, with X.com, which uh, became PayPal, uh, that's where, that, that's where we, we try to do something significant with the, with the internet. Um, and and it, it got sort of part of the way towards its, its objective. Um, after PayPal um, uh, went, went public and, and they got bought by eBay in 2002, uh, that actually freed up uh, me and a bun bunch of other people to go and create companies. And I started debating between either solar, electric car, or space. Um, I thought space was like the least likely to have somebody, the least likely to attract um, entrepreneurial talent. I thought like, like nobody is going to be crazy enough to do space, so I better do space. Um, so I started off with, with space first. Um, and... Um, and then about a year and a half later, in 2003, uh, I had lunch with uh, J.B. Stravel and Harold Rosen. And um, it was at uh, this like, fish restaurant in El Segundo. Um, and Harold Rosen uh, had been involved in space and electric vehicles. Um, and um, and J.B. had just, gotten, just graduated from college and was working with him. And the conversation turned to electric vehicles um, because... Uh, Harold had done something called Rosen Motors, which was like an attempted EV startup. And I said, well, I've always been super interested in electric vehicles. I was going to do my PhD on um, advanced energy, energy storage. <clears throat> Sorry. I was going to do grad studies on, on advanced energy storage techniques for electric vehicles. And, um, and so JB said, well, have you heard of this company called AC Propulsion? because uh, they had created um, it, the T0 electric sports car as a prototype. Um, and I was like, wow, that's great. Uh, like lithium-ion batteries had really achieved a level of energy density that, could, um, for the first time, could allow you to have significant range in an electric car. Um, and they had a, a sports car that had 0 to 60 in under 4 seconds, a 250-mile range. Um, and it was pretty cool. Now it was just made of a, it was just a kit car, so it didn't have a roof or airbags or a thermal control system, and it was extremely unreliable. It, it wasn't productized, but it was a proof of concept. Um, so I got the test drive from AC Propulsion, and I was like, "Wow, you guys should really commercialize this. This would show people what electric cars can do." And I tried for months to get AC Propulsion to um, go into production with the T0. And, like, they just were not interested in doing that. Um, amazingly, they wanted to do an electric Scion. Um, you know, like that boxy car? Um, 
But the problem is like the electric Scion would, would cost $70,000. Um, or you could build a sports car for $100,000. Okay, but like nobody's going to buy the electric Scion. Um, but people might buy the electric sports car. Um, so uh, after hounding them for, for, for months, um, I finally said like, look, if you guys are not going to commercialize the T0, would you mind if, if I did that? Um, they said, no, no, pro no problem, go ahead. It's like, great, so I'm going to do that with JB. And they said, but if you're, you're going uh, um, to go and try to prioritize T0, there's some other teams you should talk to that are also interested in doing that. Um, so that's where um, Martin Everhart, Mark Topping, and Ian Wright came in. Um, and uh, and that was, I think that was probably the biggest mistake of my career, quite frankly. Um, I, the, I, I think whenever you think you can have your cake and eat it too, um, that's something you're, you're probably wrong. Um, so I thought I can keep running SpaceX. I'll dedicate 20% of my time to Tesla, and that'll be fine. Um, but actually, uh, it, it didn't. Um, things really melted down. Went through hell. We had to recapitalize the company. And Kim was there seeing it in real time. I have to say, uh, I mean, you may have heard that story before, but I think it's interesting to hear Elon tell it himself. And I did learn something. I didn't know the part about the Roadster almost becoming a Scion, that there was a choice there for, uh, for what they were looking at producing uh, in the early days there. Very, very interesting stuff from Elon and Kimball Musk. All right, let's move on to the rest of the week's news in the world of Tesla. And there was plenty of it, starting with, uh, well, I guess it's bad news. It's never, never good news when you have to pay more for something. Supercharger prices have been raised almost across the board. It is Now, this obviously does not impact any Model S or X owners, that have the free unlimited lifetime supercharging, but this will impact every single Model 3 owner. And here in California, we're looking at a, about a 20% rate hike. Uh, we're going from 20 cents per kilowatt hour to 26 cents per kilowatt hour. And uh, very few places uh, avoided it. Very few places didn't see a price hike. And and I know that sounds bad, like, man, ooh, 20%, boy, that's, a, that's quite a hike. But the fact of the matter is, electricity is still so much cheaper than gas that it remains pretty darn cost-effective compared to gasoline. I'll give an example. Let's say uh, I've got my Model 3 long range, which is, you know, as we know, it's, a, it's about a... Uh, you know, 75, maybe even 80, 80 kilowatt hour battery. So let's say I, I roll into the supercharger stop on my way to Arizona to visit my parents and I need 60 kilowatt hours. Maybe that's going to be my, the, my average sort of amount I need at each supercharger stop. The old price of 20 cents per kilowatt hour would mean uh, that would have that been a $12 charge up for those, you know, adding three quarters of the battery back into the car, three quarters of a charge that I would need there. And that's, that's even if I'd be, well, forget it. It actually wouldn't even be filling up all the way. Wouldn't even be charging all the way. You're, you're not supposed to charge up all the way. Let's say I'm rolling in at almost zero and charging to 60 kilowatt. Hour. And anyway, so 60 kilowatt hours, uh, $12 on the tw on the old rate uh, versus by the way, that would be about seven or $8 to do that 
at home on your sort of day to day. If you're if you're charging uh, overnight at the off peak hours, California you get about twelve cents per kilowatt hour typically on on uh, PG and E, which is what a lot of us in California are on. Of course, the the home charge is going to be a lot slower than a supercharge, but but there you go, just for a, a point of reference and comparison there. Now. At the new supercharger rate, 26 cents per kilowatt hour, that $12 supercharging stop becomes a $15.60 supercharger stop. So still, you're still not paying a ton. And that's, uh, that's I think, what once I, once I really sat down and thought about it and actually did that math, it made me feel a lot better about about a price hike on this. Now, Tesla claims that the additional revenue will be put back into the supercharger network, which is good. They told Electric, uh, they gave them an additional quote. They said, quote, we additionally adjust rates to reflect current local electricity and usage. The overriding principle is that supercharging will always remain significantly cheaper than gasoline as we only aim to recover a portion of our costs while setting up a fair system for everyone. This will never be a profit center for Tesla, end quote. You know, if they were going to raise prices like this, now is probably the best time to do it because it's right before a bunch of the, or right as, you know, right before a bunch, like a huge wave of of the first-time Tesla owner Model 3s, you know, the, the non-owners, the non-employees, those cars are going to start hitting the road en masse, uh, and those customers, you, you know, you probably don't want them to get used to the lower rate and then slap a, you know, 20% increase on them, even though, again, in the grand scheme, it's only a few dollars more per stop. It, it still does make sense to do this and get it out of the way now before the, the production ramp really, really kicks up and a ton of Model 3s start hitting the road. And and as long as it is going towards making the supercharger network bigger and better, I don't really mind, honestly. Again, because it's still so affordable uh, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I'll, I'll personally, everybody's different. I'll personally probably only be using the superchargers on one or two road trips, maybe like a couple little ones too. So, but really, I, you know, they're not designed to be used every day. They're an, they're an occasional thing. Uh, and, and so, you know, this isn't a huge amount of money that's, that you're going to be losing out of your wallet here since you don't use the superchargers every day. Next this week, Model 3 production, speaking of which, took a planned hiatus in late February. From February 20th to the 24th, the line halted in both Fremont and the Gigafactory so that Tesla could make some upgrades and tweaks to those production lines with an eye towards, of course, increasing the production rate. I I wonder if it's coincidence or not that the first non-owner invites went out during that time. Uh, I'm sure it was all pretty carefully calculated because remember it was February 22nd, 2018 was the day that the first non-owner model, uh, non-owner invites were sent out for Model 3. And that, you know, gave Tesla, of course, time to implement these changes and the production line, these improvements and tweaks and get those get that first batch of orders in and and get things spun up. Now Tesla did give a quote on this. They told Bloomberg, quote, "Our Model 3 production plan includes periods of planned downtime in both Fremont and Gigafactory 1. 
These periods are used to improve automation and systemically address bottlenecks in order to increase production rates. This is not unusual and is in fact common in production ramps like this, end quote. Hopefully, this hiatus was a big key towards hitting that 2,500 car per week production rate that they're supposed to be getting to in just a couple of weeks' time here. Also, remember that the battery module assembly system from Groman is probably being installed in the Gigafactory right about now. If you recall, Elon talked about that being a key part of the solution to the battery module production problem that they'd been running into up in Reno. That was that was discussed on the quarterly earnings call about, gosh, I guess that was a month ago already, five weeks ago. But So that, that should also be happening. So lots of things afoot in the world of Model 3 production as we all wait with bated breath for our cars uh, and for some more options to come online. And it's it does, it is all happening, some more, just more behind the scenes stuff for the moment, and hopefully those changes will, will sort of trickle down to consumers, things that we're going to see like more invites and more options very soon. Here was another big news item of the week, and this came very quietly out of nowhere, but it is confirmed the Model S and Model X are getting hardware updates in brand new orders in the form of of the very same modern super zippy media control unit processor that is found in the Model 3s. So that means that the, uh, the all these, holy cow, the touchscreen response is amazing comments that you've been seeing as a part of almost every single review or impression of the Model 3, uh, especially in comparison to the S or the X, that uh, that is where that is coming from, and now that will no longer be the case on Model S's and X's moving forward. It's got the same new chip, same processor. It is going to be unified across the board. Super zippy. Uh, really looking forward to uh, to just having that be the new normal in the Teslas. Now that begs the immediate question: Can older Teslas? be upgraded. Now, all of you that are hearing this for the first time that own an S or an X are all thinking it right now. That was the first thing to go through your mind. I have an email out to Tesla PR. I sent it a couple nights ago now. Yeah, I guess uh, 48 hours ago. Unfortunately, I still have not yet received a response. And that could mean anything. That could mean they're looking into it. That could mean the answer is no. And they're just not going to publicly say it's no. So who knows? It's, don't give up hope just because I haven't gotten a reply back from Tesla PR, but hopefully it will be possible to upgrade and retrofit earlier cars because you know, you've got things like dual motor and autopilot two cameras that can't be upgraded from older cars, or upgraded to, I should say. But then a good example of a thing that can be upgraded easily is the 4G LTE cellular hardware. You can drop that into any old 3G Model S for a $500 service center visit, which is, you know, all things considered, relatively affordable to get uh, to get a fat, much faster download rate on everything you're doing on the car. So, uh, it you know, we've seen a, there is a precedent for this, potentially, and I'm hoping that this media control unit processor is going to fall into that category 
since to the best of my knowledge, I have seen photos of this, I think it would just involve replacing the entire dashboard touchscreen, not the dashboard, well, yes, the dashboard one, sorry, not the instrument cluster one, the entire main 17-inch screen assembly. Like that whole thing would come out and you'd put a new one in. I, I believe you would have to get a new display in order to also get a new processor. So if an upgrade is going to be available, I would just caution you right now to prepare for it to be a little on the pricey side. Like, I don't know what an out-of-warranty uh, screen assembly costs if you end up having a, a screen problem out-of-warranty, which there are some Model S's that are out-of-warranty now. Um, but I, I would think it's probably going to be a couple grand. But when you think about it, especially if you see video of it or if you try, a, try it for yourself, either in a new SRX or in a Model 3, you will see like it's way, way more responsive. Like it's just instantly responsive like you'd expect it to be. Whereas the S and the X, you know, the web browser is particularly sluggish and some of the other, like the map is is a little rough too on the, the interface there uh, with the responsiveness. So we'll see what happens. Of course, if I do get anything back from Tesla PR, I will pass it along to you regardless of, of what they say. I will pass it along. So hopefully I'll have something for next week's show on that. Speaking of updates, the Model 3 got a software update uh, while the S and the X are getting a hardware update this week. But this is a big software update for the Model 3. It's notable for one thing in particular, one thing alone that I'm gonna mention because it had some other bits and pieces in it as well, but heated rear seats. So the long running pseudo mystery involving whether or not the Model 3 has heated rear seats has now been solved. Uh, I would say this is almost certainly going to be a premium package only option. So uh, of course, every every Model 3 being built right now has the premium package, but I I would not expect that as a standard feature. I'm sure it's going to be part of premium. I don't know for sure, obviously, but uh, it is good nevertheless to see that get turned on and and just again, how it is, it's the new way of things. It is the new Tesla way of things where they started delivering cars that had the hardware in it, but it just wasn't all, all the software, all the hooks weren't, weren't in yet. And now they put them in and turned them on and boom, suddenly you've got the ability to heat those rear seats. Next up this week, Ontario, our friends up in Canada, the, the great province of Ontario, they have revised their very, very generous electric vehicle rebate policy, which has seen Teslas qualify for up to a $14,000 rebate. That is, of course, Canadian, so it's, uh, it's not, not, for, not equivalent to $14,000 US dollars, but it's nevertheless a nice chunk of change. And unfortunately, Tesla buyers are getting hurt by it. I've got a call here I'm going to play for you. Here's Jason from Ottawa giving uh, the full update on Ontario's EV incentive program. Jason, you're on the air. Hey, Ryan, it's Jason from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada again. Um, just thought I'd give you an update on Ontario's uh, electric vehicle incentive program. Um, you may remember that uh, Ontario had a $14,000 rebate for electric vehicles uh, if you bought one in Ontario. Um, and it included Teslas at uh, some point in time uh, last year. Um, but recently, as of March 9th, they 
change that to take all Teslas off of their incentive program. Um, so you can no longer buy a Tesla and get any sort of rebate from them uh, unless you ordered it before <clears throat> before March 9th uh, of uh, 2018. Um, I, that's very disappointing for me as um, a Model 3 reservation holder, and I'm looking forward to having that rebate on my car. Now, the incentive they say, the new, uh, the new update to the incentive says there is no uh, rebate for a uh, suggested repro price of $75,000 or more. So that's probably why all of the Teslas are taken off. I'm hoping that doesn't include the Model 3, which should come in under 75000 Canadian. I'm hoping with the four-wheel drive model that I want. Um, anyways, I thought I'd uh, send that out to you. You may have already gotten this from some other people, but uh, thought I'd uh, call in anyways. Thanks very much. Love the podcast. Bye for now. Thanks for the call, Jason. And I have to say, I'm of two minds on this. On the one hand, I can understand removing the rebate on expensive EVs like Teslas and, for instance, coming up the Jaguar I-Pace, because if you can afford an S or an X, you probably don't need any rebate, financially speaking, let alone such a generous one. On the other hand, if the point is to help sway people into buying zero-emissions vehicles, wouldn't you want to incentivize that regardless of the cost of the car? Because a potential Model S or X buyer is probably going to be cross-shopping that against an ICE like a Mercedes S-Class or a BMW 7 Series or something like that. So wouldn't you want those people to go ahead and buy the electric version in the class that they're shopping in. So that's that's where I lean to on this. Again, I can sort of see you can make the argument the other way, but I, I think the greater, you know, for the greater good, I would, I would think in the spirit of the rebate, you'd want to incentivize uh, all EVs regardless of how much they cost. Now, as to your concern about the dual motor Model 3 sneaking in under this new $75,000 Canadian price cap, I'm confident that it will, although I know that Canadian pricing for Teslas has varied from U.S. pricing in the past, even when accounting for the exchange rate. So the question I have that I don't know the answer to is, is that $75,000 limit on the base price or the out-the-door price? Uh, the, I went and looked on the Ontario government website and it just says MSRP, but please someone correct me if, if I'm just missing it and it, this is clear, but to me, that's not clear. You know, I, I don't know, does MSRP mean, look, what does that mean? And manufacturer's suggested retail price, well, is that the base price or is that the full all options price? So $75,000 Canadian, I went and looked it up. That's currently the equivalent to about $58,500 U.S. dollars. So if we look at it that way, that's the current cap for this, this uh, tax credit, this tax rebate. So a standard battery dual motor would definitely come in under the cap. No problem. A long-range dual motor would too, although if you option it up enough, it wouldn't. But again, it depends if that cap is with the base price or with the total price. So uh, if anybody out there does have a clear answer to that, 
please let me know so I can make sure to, to all, not only learn that for myself, but disseminate that to eager Canadian listeners who, uh, who may also be wondering the same thing. On the topic of Tesla legislation, the final news story I have for you this week before we get to the always excellent Ride the Lightning hotline where I will take your calls and we'll discuss your questions. Uh, We've got a bill out of New Mexico that I had previously mentioned. That is State Bill 255. It is unfortunately dead, and with it, Tesla's shot of operating legally in the state of New Mexico anytime soon. A listener of mine, Gary, from Albuquerque, wrote to the uh, the state senator who introduced the bill. You may have heard me mention him when I first talked about this. Jerry Ortiz Ipino. He uh, Gary emailed him, and uh, Mr. Pino, Mr. Ortiz Ipino, wrote back. He replied to Gary, and in his email, which which Gary was kind enough to forward me, uh, the senator said, "quote." We never succeeded in persuading the governor to give us a message so the matter could be considered in what is otherwise a session agenda limited to budgetary issues. Next year, new governor, new attitude, let's hope. So I like the optimism there, and I will certainly be keeping an eye on this one, and perhaps Senator Ortiz Pino will be right about next year being a better chance for this. That is it for the news this week. We'll move on now to the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Ton of great calls to get to. I believe I've got uh, nine or ten of them queued up here. Just good stuff kept coming in all week long. So stay tuned for that right after this. Welcome to the Ride the Lightning Hotline. I want to start this off by actually mentioning something I forgot to mention last week, and that is the new Patreon-exclusive bonus episode with all of the extra excellent calls that I can't fit into the regular weekly show. They go in and get, uh, we do basically a mailbag show, hotline show, once a month on Patreon. The topics covered on this month's episode include Elon Musk and VR, Model 3's delays, Model S and X owner priority on Model 3, there's a software feature idea in there, Model 3 impressions from some callers, uh, long-term battery degradation is discussed, Model 3's UI, blind spot monitoring, monitoring, pardon me, Model 3 maintenance, etc. And the listeners featured on that episode on Patreon, we've got Damon from Illinois on there, Mike from Boston, Jeff from Fargo, Alex is in there, Danny in Oregon, David from Salt Lake City, John D. in central Massachusetts, Alonzo in Washington, D.C., Andrew in San Diego, Alex from Vegas, Mike from Charlottesville, Ross from Minneapolis, Ron from Nashville, Robert from Chicago, and Zach from Jacksonville. And one other quick thing I just wanted to point out, if uh, you're not with me on Patreon, at least or at the the $10 or higher level, to get access to that extra episode, uh, I decided to just try something. We'll see if uh, people like this or, or what, but I made the February episode, the February bonus episode, free for everyone. So even folks that are not on Patreon are not at the $10 level or higher. So if you want to check that out, just go to patreon.com slash Podcast, And I think just go into posts, the posts tab, uh, and you, you probably might have to scroll down a bit to get to it. Or uh, I think you, anyway, you'll, you'll find it. You guys are all super smart. You know, <laughs> you know how to work websites. Look for the, 
the uh, the Patreon bonus show from February. Anyway, let's get rolling here with this week's calls. Of course, if you want to participate, which I s- sincerely encourage, I love hearing from everybody. Call me with your questions, your comments, your discussion topics from the world of Tesla. You can do that one of two ways. You can either use your smartphone's built-in voice recorder, record something and email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com, or you can call in anytime and leave a message on the toll-free Ride the Lightning hotline. That phone number is 1-888-989-8752. That's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voice and friends and family. Tell them why they're special. Read this as fast as I possibly can. <laughs> the recordings can be podcasted or to put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. Let's kick it off with Eric in Australia commenting, uh, following up on my comment about autopilot follow distance. Eric, you're on the air. Thanks, Ryan. It's Eric Levin from Australia calling again. Just responding to your comments about the following distance when on autopilot. My wife's ice car allows you to set the following distance in time. So if you have, say, two and a half second gap, then the slower you go, the shorter the gap and the higher your speed, then uh, you have a correspondingly longer gap because two and a half seconds takes longer distance to cover. We find this super useful on highways and freeways. Clearly with autopilot in uh, stop-start traffic, there have to be some additional parameters so that uh, you don't go too close to cars when you're nearly at standstill where the timing function wouldn't work anymore. Anyway, just sharing those thoughts may be uh, something that Tesla would think about. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your podcast. Bye. Thank you, Eric. I want to give a shout out as well to Brian from Minneapolis and Thor from upstate New York for also sending in very similar comments to this on the hotline. And uh, I have to say, it looks like I spoke too soon. And in fact, the Teslas are already doing this. Here, in fact, is audio from a video that Joel sent in. He went and tested this in his Model S, and he sent me video of it in action in traffic. Uh, so let's listen to what Joel has to say. Here's the audio from his video clip. Hey, Ryan. Just uh, wanted to follow up on your your uh, note yesterday about follow distance. I'm doing this from my car. I have a 7 uh, car follow distance, although reality-wise, we're, I'm really like probably two at 20 miles an hour right now. But as a, my as the speed goes down to stop and go, the car will. Uh, well, in his perfect situation. This is half of a car length, maybe less. Um, and as it stays in stop and go, um, even though it's on seven, it will continue to. Uh, uh, stay fairly close, but close enough where, uh, still far enough away where somebody can cut in, cut off on you, cut you off. Anyway, take care. Thank you, Joel. I should have known that Elon Musk and the Tesla autopilot team would be smarter than me. Next is Logan from Denver. He's an insurance broker, and he responds to the call from last week about OEM parts as it relates to Tesla insurance claims Logan, please educate me and hopefully all of us. 
Hey, Ryan, it's Logan Willis from Denver. I just wanted to call in regarding the call last week about the uh, OEM parts. I'm an insurance broker here in Colorado, and I just had three main points I wanted to add. So adding OEM parts coverage to your auto policy is the best way to do this. Um, this way you get official you know, Tesla parts in the event that third-party parts are ever made. Um, you can never get those. They have to replace them with official Tesla parts. Uh, second one would be loan and lease gap coverage for all of us buying our Model 3s or even S's and X's. If you get that totaled, uh, you know, within the first, second, or third year of ownership, you don't want to be upside down on your loan or your lease amount. So um, definitely add that coverage, very inexpensive. And then third would just be full glass coverage. Uh, you can get that usually for a $0 deductible or a $50 deductible, and we'll cover full glass replacement uh, without having to dip into your comprehensive deductibles. So uh, especially with the Model X having that big panoramic windshield, definitely smart to have on there. But, uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions about insurance uh, specifically, um, you can reach me on the TMC forums. Uh, my handle on there is Logan the first, all spelled out, one word. Um, but other than that, thanks, Ryan, so much for all you do. It's always a pleasure listening to you every week. And uh, yeah, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for bringing your professional expertise to this, Logan. I This is one of those times I've got nothing to add here. Just some good food for thought for all of us uh, as we prepare to become Tesla owners, or for some of you may already be a lot of folks out there as well. So thanks again, Logan. Let's move next to Edward from Ojai, California. Asking about the dual motor Model 3. He's got an interesting question related to this. Edward, go ahead. Hello, my name is Edward, calling from Ojai, California. And I had a question regarding the uh, dual motor version of the Tesla. Do you think you'll get significantly uh, longer tire life if you have dual motors as opposed to a single motor? And do you think this is why Goodyear has released a new strength or better motor because of the problems with uh, so much torque going through two wheels instead of four. Thank you very much. Thanks again for the podcast. This is actually an excellent question, Edward. Thank you. I would presume the answer would be no, because with dual motor, you're putting down even more power to four wheels than a rear-wheel drive car outputting to two wheels. I did the best apples-to-apples apples research I could with this, though. I asked my boss's boss, who has an 85D Model S, and then I asked my cousin Pat, who has a P85 Model S, about their typical tire mileage, because both of them are, uh, both of those guys run 21-inch turbine wheels and always have. And even though the 85D isn't a performance model, it does get the same 0 to 60 as the P85, so I think it's a reasonable comparison. And here's what I heard back. The 85D, uh, my boss's boss, he's getting around 12 to 15,000 miles per set, uh, while my cousin Pat tells me, quote, about 18,000 doesn't matter if they're Continental or Michigan. So there you go. They're roughly the same Though, I, I do want to caveat this, these are cars in two completely different areas. And what I mean by that is that uh, if any of you have spent significant amounts of time in the Phoenix area, the Phoenix Valley area, as well as the San Francisco Bay area, you know that there's a bit of a difference in the quality of the roads. The Bay area roads are in general in much worse shape than the 
the sheets of glass, <laughs> just the, the smooth, amazing roads that are paved all over Arizona. So uh, I, I, what I mean by that is I think my, my boss's 85D has had a literal rougher go of it on the, on the same tires than my cousin Pat. But, but really, I think they're about, sounds like it's about uh, the same there. So I'm really glad you called in with that, Edward, because uh, that was an educational research exercise for me. Next is Frank from here in the Bay Area. He uh, is debating, he has an idea with regard to enhanced autopilot. Frank, go ahead. Hey, Ryan, this is Frank from the Bay Area. I'm in the process with a lot of folks of waiting my opportunity to configure my Model 3. And in doing so, I'm debating whether or not to get enhanced autopilot. Um, without going into the details, it seems like a lot of people may be in the same boat as I am. And I'm wondering if Tesla would offer a EAP trial period when you first get the car. So you have, you know, the first 30 days, it's it's free, and if you decide uh, you want to keep it, you can go ahead and pay the, the fee, and if not, it'll go away. Um, just want to get your thoughts on that. In other words, it'd be more of a try-before-you-buy um, scenario. And since it's a software-enabled feature, it should be pretty simple to implement. Anyway, let me know what your thoughts. Like everyone else, love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for calling in, Frank. Tesla actually has done this before. There was a trial period offered back in April of 2016, so almost exactly two years ago. I have no idea how many trial users Tesla converted into paid upgrades because, unfortunately, they never released any numbers or details on that, but I think your idea is a great one. Just make it free for the first 30 days on every single car. That would seem to make a ton of sense, but my suspicion is uh, that why I think they will do another trial period eventually. I And my hunch on this, and, and believe me, it's nothing more than a hunch, is that they're not going to even think about that until Model 3 production is humming along so that they can hit a huge swath of people with it at once. Now, the more I thought about this, I did come up with one counter-argument, why just a sort of a devil's advocate position of why Tesla might not choose to do this. And that is, uh, maybe Tesla feels like that doing a 30-day trial for everybody would actually cost them more customers than it would convert. In other words, fewer people would order it when initially configuring their car if they've, in fact, implemented your idea here, Frank. Uh, of course, the fix to that would seem to more or less already exist. Just make it more expensive if you don't order it with your car. For what it's worth, uh, I would personally highly recommend Enhanced Autopilot, even with my relatively minimal experience using it, because to me, once you get comfortable with how to use it and how not to use it, it really does make highway driving a heck of a lot more relaxing. And, and I don't know, maybe you do nothing but city driving, so it wouldn't be uh, as of as much value to you, but... Uh, just just my two cents there. Take it or leave it. Next, Jonathan from Montreal. He has an aging car, uh, and he's trying to think of plan B situations. Uh, let's talk to Jonathan. Hello, Ryan. This is Jonathan from Montreal, longtime IGN and Twitter follower. 
I I am a Tesla fan, but I haven't reserved for Model 3. My financial situation didn't allow me uh, back in 2016 to do so. And um, I'm thinking about changing my car because my 12-year-old Pontiac is uh, really getting old and has all those, all those signs of, of aging. And um, I'm looking forward to an electric car. But I know that reserving a Model 3 right now would push me back at least 18 months here in Canada. So I'm looking for a plan B, and I'm thinking about the Nissan Leaf. Uh, the 2018 model is very attractive, and the price is very interesting. So I was wondering, do you have a plan B in case your Infiniti uh, fails you before you can actually take delivery of your Model 3? I hope that's not the case, but it's always good to be prepared. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you. Have a good day. It's great to hear from you, Jonathan. Thank you so much for giving this podcast a try. I mean, you're, you've always been so supportive of my work at IGN, and, and your positivity and encouragement really means a lot, so thank you so much. To answer your question, I have to say, I don't really have a plan B as much as I have an in-case-of-emergency-break-glass plan. If my infinity was totaled or the engine blew up somehow... I would be in a bad way because I'm really counting on the resale value of that car to contribute a fairly decent chunk of my plan down payment on the Model 3. But if disaster with my current car did strike, my wife and I have already talked about it and we would just share her car for the remaining weeks or months until I get my Model 3. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate that I live and work in a city where, thanks to the close proximity of things and the, a relatively short commute, I'd be able to, we'd be able to make it work, I think. So I want to wish you very good luck with the Leaf. And, I, and I'm not saying that sarcastically at all. Really, good, you know, good luck with the Leaf because I, I, I saw one of the new ones in the flesh. I actually just parked around the corner from my house uh, this past weekend, and it was my first time seeing it in the flesh, and I have to say, I mean, uh, just just as you could tell in the pictures, it is, in my opinion, certainly a drastic improvement over the original in the looks department, to, to say the very least, and it, it just looks like a nice, sem- fairly stylish, normal car now, rather than a, an absolute ugly duckling weird thing, which, uh, I'm, I, I'm not a fan of the styling of the original leaf. I, that's a, that's a topic for another day. That's neither here nor there. But anyway, uh, the other thing about the new leaf too, of course, as you no doubt already know, is it's a huge improvement over the old leaf in the range department as well. So enjoy that car. Next up, Richard from Southern Ontario, uh, is replying to Henrik from Montreal regarding range penalty in extremely cold winters. So Richard, you're on the air. Hello, Ryan. Richard Corley calling from Southern Ontario. Love your show. And I wanted to call you in response to the questions from Henrik in the Montreal area about cold weather performance. After five winters with the Model S, we have found that the range can be kept to a fairly uh, high percentage of the rated range, typically within uh, 10 or 20 percent on any given day. And in any event, uh, think that he should be able to work with the 220 mile range to do a 120 mile round trip commute. The 
elements that we find are critical for cold weather range performance are number one, the preconditioning, which really reduces the initial load in terms of heating the battery and also heating the interior. The second is using the range mode in the car settings. And the third is making good use of the seat heater and the steering wheel heater to reduce the amount of uh, energy that you're calling for uh, out of the heating system. Hope that's of assistance. Bye-bye. That is extremely useful information, Richard. Thank you very much. Uh, if uh, you've had your Model S for that long, I'm curious, do you have a signature edition up there in Canada? I, I just, uh, I don't know, that made me think of that. Anyway, just curious there. Anyway, I'm very glad to hear that the preconditioning update that was fairly recent has been so beneficial. Your experience makes for good advice for all of the cold weather folks out there listening to this who are waiting on their Model 3s. Though with the Model 3, we won't have the benefit of the heated steering wheel but at least we will get the heated seats. Although, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that's certainly probably not going to be in the standard version. Um, although definitely not in the back. Maybe, maybe in the front. <laughs> we'll see. Anyhow, uh, thank you so much, Richard. Appreciate that. Moving on here, Bruno from Toronto. It's a, it's a boy. It's Canada tastic this week. I love it. Uh, he wanted to throw a little more evidence onto a previous discussion as well. So, Bruno, you're on the air. Hey there, Bruno from Toronto, Canada. I was hoping I could add a quick comment about regen braking and brake light activation. On one of your previous podcasts, a caller mentioned that regen will activate the brake lights when anything above 30 kilowatt hour regen is reached. This isn't correct. The computer has a programmed algorithm that takes a few things into account, like rate of deceleration, throttle position, and overall speed. For example, when driving at 140, 150 kilometers per hour and letting off the throttle, the brake lights will not turn on until you reach closer to 110 kilometers per hour. However, at a slow speed and up a hill where the car's speed decreases rapidly, it will activate the lights. Just thought this could be useful information and that your listeners would like to know. Keep up the great work. Love your podcast. Cheers. Thank you for the call, Bruno. This is yet another call that I have nothing to add to. I just, I, I appreciate all these clarifications. I must say, I understand this feature of the Teslas a lot better now than we when we first started talking about this a couple weeks back. So I appreciate this added clarification. And this is exactly why I love the Ride the Lightning portion of the show, because it allows you guys to get involved. And I, I often get to learn something as well. Got a few, actually two more calls this week. Our penultimate call for the week comes from Ray in Philadelphia, who is eager to get his hands on a Model 3 after recently acquiring a Model S. So uh, Ray, go ahead. Hey Ryan, this is Ray from Philadelphia. I was just curious, I know that you had reported on if you're an existing Tesla owner and you put in a new reservation for a Model 3, you can get to configure it very quickly. Do you know the time frame that we should expect to be able to configure our Model 3 if we're already an existing Tesla owner? I put in a reservation about two weeks ago now and have yet to get any kind of email confirmation to configure that. 
anything that you could give me would be helpful. I would appreciate it. Thank you very much. Love the show and uh, keep doing great work. Howdy, Ray. It's uh, it's nothing scientific, I'm afraid, and the, the invites have been going out in waves. As far as anyone can tell, though, existing owners do continue to get priority, so I would probably expect you to receive your invitation to configure fairly soon, like within, I would just guess, a couple months. Regardless, enjoy your imminent Model 3. All right, here to take us home is David from Santa Barbara, who got his Model 3. He calls in with his impressions 2,000 miles later. David, take us home. Hey, Ryan, it's David calling from Santa Barbara. I'm calling in with my first impressions of the Model 3. I picked it up at the end of January, and I've got uh, about 2,000 miles on it now. And so I just wanted to share my early thoughts. To contextualize my comments, um, I've been an EV driver since 2011. My gateway drug was the Nissan Leaf. Then I went to the S and then the X and now the 3. And I feel like Tesla took some of the best features of the Model S, some of the best features of the Model X, and right-sized it and put it into the Model 3, and it is just a terrific vehicle. Couldn't be happier with it. The um, Let's face it, the Model X is a big vehicle. You have to have a lot of elbow room. And with those five electric doors, it's kind of like a puppy dog with huge paws. Kind of have a mind of their own, and they're all over the place. So you have to have a big garage, a big motor court, big parking opportunities. And I just find the Model 3 to be a lot uh, better size, at least for my purposes. Um, I will miss a few features on the, from the Model X. Uh, having the driver's door close by putting your foot on the brake is a great feature, especially if you park at the curb, which I do often to avoid door dings. And if you've got cars coming quickly from behind, as you're getting in, the door is closing. That's a feature I'm going to miss. Um, I'm going to miss the auto-dimming uh, high beams. I'm going to miss the rear hatch um, button to close that. Um, if you're taking things out of the trunk, you've really got to put them down in order to close the, the trunk. Um, but these are, these are first world problems, and I, I think I'll be fine without those. Um, but it's got, I feel like it's got sports car handling with business class comfort. Uh, my ex had ludicrous, and uh, I feel like the Model 3 has plenty of torque and really fun to drive. So um, I think they really nailed it with this. Couldn't be happier. Um, so those are my first impressions. Um, keep up the good work. Enjoy the podcast every week, and uh, safe driving. Great impressions there, David, and, and you've certainly got a lot of electric vehicles to compare it to. I have to also say that I've never heard the Model X compared to a giant puppy before, kind of a Clifford the Big Red Dog situation, but it's an oddly perfect description, so my hat is off to you for that one, sir. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, and real quick, before I end this segment, I just wanted to uh, reply to Anu Arbeck from Tesla Geeks. 
he called in with a, as a bit of a long, uh, complicated tech support question. And I, uh, I'm just want to be careful, you know, very, I, wanna, I say this super respectfully. I don't, I can't have the Ride the Lightning hotline become a tech support line, especially as more and more of us start to get Model 3s, because uh, that's certainly not my expertise, and I'll just never get anything else done with the podcast or anything else if I end up fielding tech support questions. But I want to I wanna be positive here, Anwar, and uh, Anwar Beck, I did find a thread about your exact issue, and the short, short, short version is that until there's a more permanent fix from Apple or Tesla, he's having a problem with his Apple Watch uh, causing inter seemingly interfering and making his Bluetooth calls to other people sound crappy to other people that he calls. Anyway, put your Apple Watch in airplane mode if you encounter the issue that should fix it. I mean, so again, you should only need to do that on a call if you if the other person on the other line on the other end has has an issue. So um, hopefully that hot fix works for you. And, uh, and that'll wrap it up for the Ride the Lightning Hotline. So again, thanks to everybody for the great calls. Please keep them coming. You can either record a question on your smartphone's built-in voice memo recorder and email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call the toll-free Ride the Lightning Hotline and leave a message anytime, day or night. The toll-free number for that, again, one 989 5-2. Be right back with some parting thoughts for you right after this. It's about time to hit the road for this week, but before I do, I want to remind you that if you happen to be purchasing a new Model S or Model X, go ahead and use my cousin Pat's referral code and get yourself the free unlimited lifetime supercharging you just heard earlier today about how the supercharging rates went up, so you can avoid that. If you're buying an S or an X by using my cousin Pat's referral code, just give the code PATRICK5008 to your sales advisor, or if you're configuring online, type ts.la slash PATRICK5008 into your web browser. Uh, Immaculate Reflections is there and ready here in the Bay Area to get your Model 3 protected, get that paint just as uh, as good as it possibly can be and keep it that way, whether you wanna do paint correction, whether you wanna do Seacourt's uh, finest ceramic coating on the paint, whether you wanna do paint protection film on the nose, the whole front of the car or the whole car, whatever you wanna do, they're there for you. Check them out at irdetailing.com. They're also on Yelp or Instagram at immaculate underscore reflections on those websites there. Uh, of course, we've got our friends at Abstract Ocean. The puddle lights are their hot item. They continue to be. Uh, so do check those out if you're interested. Like I said, I'm, I think I'm gonna do, I'm either gonna do the Tesla T logo or the original Model 3 logo, the three horizontal lines, I have not decided yet, but you can get accessories for you and your car uh, at abstractocean.com, and first-time customers can use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout in order to get 20% off of your first order. You can follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. You can always email me, teslapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and then, of course, that brings us to the Patreon. I want to thank 
the Patreon producers. These are the kind folks that are supporting me every month at the $20 level or higher. Thanks to Jeff Bartram, Paul Hussey, DJ Harbaugh, Pete White, Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassioppo, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, Alexi Heft, Lisa Kaz, Michael Opre, Logan Willis, Matthew Para, Michael Lester, Robert Maracle, John Lasher, Jason Chalukas, Emotion Rentals, Richard Ouellette, Sean Fournier, Tim Hyde, Marcus Mayenshine, Lee Sweet, Lars Hoffman, Orion Coates, Peter Chalet, Harold Plug, Kenneth Martin, Michael Callahan, Rome Strack, David Vakil, Ulrich Lassa, and Luke A. Thank you all so much. If you would like to consider contributing on Patreon, supporting my efforts here each and every week on the podcast, you can just take a look at the Patreon page that is found at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. That's got all the information you would need over there. I think that about wraps it up. Ah, yes, that's right. I did want to end the show with the, again, what should be the better version of the Goodyear representative talking about the EV specific tires and those benefits. Uh, I've got that here for you. I really hope this one works. Hopefully most of you heard it last week and only a few people had a problem, but in any case, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to end with that. And then we'll go into the theme music and, and ride off into the sunset for this week. So happy electric motoring, everybody. And I will see you next week. Take us home, Goodyear guy.